You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with peak performance expert, global keynote speaker, podcaster phenomenon, and best-selling author, Ed Milet. Ed started off his career in the financial services industry, climbing up the corporate ladder at World Financial Group. He eventually left his executive position to set out on his own as an entrepreneur. Today, Ed is an uber-successful business mogul holding stake in a few dozen companies across technology, real estate, health, and nutrition, and he has a reported net worth of over $450 million. Ed is also the best-selling author of Max Out Your Life, and his new book, The Power of One More, just dropped earlier this week. Ed's weekly podcast, The Ed Milet Show, is frequently ranked as the number one entrepreneurship podcast on Apple. Now, Ed might seem like he always has had it going on, but he actually didn't come from a wealthy family. In fact, Ed's childhood was far from idyllic, but it's what Ed learned through overcoming hardships and challenges that makes him the charismatic, genuine, and motivational leader that he is today. And that's why I'm super excited to bring you this conversation. It's honestly one of my favorites so far all year. In this episode, Ed and I talk about his father's struggle with sobriety and what it taught him about the ability to transform. We learn why Ed believes you need to touch your dreams in order to make them a reality. And we take a close look at his new book, The Power of One More, digging into topics like regulating our identity, programming our reticular activating systems, and we hear his top tips to build self-confidence, and so much more. If you're looking to be inspired, change your life for the better, and get everything you've ever wanted, you've got to hear what Ed has to share. I promise you're going to love this one. Hey, Ed, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thank you for having me. I've been looking forward to this all day. I'm excited. Me too. I'm psyched. You are one of my favorite podcasters. We interview a lot of the same people, and so I usually listen to your show before the guest comes on my show. I study with your show, and so you're one of my go-tos. And for those who may not know you, you're a renowned keynote speaker, a performance coach, an entrepreneur, and a best-selling author. You're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. You've built nine-figure businesses, and now you hold ownership stake in 23 different companies. So that's all really exciting stuff. You also just launched or you're about to launch your newest book called The Power of One More. It comes out in June. So we're going to dive into all of that. But before we get into it, I always like to take it back to your younger years. And you were way different back then. I think it's going to be super inspiring for my listeners to hear how you've transformed. So based on my research, you grew up in California. You were the only boy in a family with three younger sisters. You were a scrawny kid nicknamed Eddie Spaghetti. (laughs) And You seem really confident and outgoing, but it turns out you weren't always like this. So talk to us about what you were like as a child and a teen. Thank you for preparing so well. That's awesome. I respect that because I do have a show. Child, insecure, shy, uh, anxiety, fear, depressed. That sounds good, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm the child of an alcoholic father. So I was raised in the power of one more. The book I have is, is a lot of lessons in that in my life about that. But So when you're raised with a dysfunctional family, you just grow up with anxiety and you don't grow up feeling very good about yourself. So many mornings I would leave my house just ashamed and why do I have to come from this family when everyone's got a normal family? And then I was small, like you said, I got bullied a lot in school. And so I got into personal development. By the way, my dad, the good news is my dad got sober and completely changed his life, which we'll talk about. Funny thing, my dad got sober on 420. So my dad's (laughs) birthday is 420, which is hilarious. Only my dad would do that. But what happened for me was that I was good in sports. I was a good baseball player. So that was the one place I could flourish. 
But I had to learn about personal development and self-help and the strategies of building confidence and visualizations and your reticular activating system in your brain and all these other things just to become a baseline functioning human being. And then when I got there, I'm like, wow, I'm good at this. I have my own strategies, my own style, my own things I've learned that are sort of my recipe. And then I started to take them to another level. And then I think I became a pretty self-confident person. It doesn't mean that I still don't struggle with some insecurity or fears because I do, but I transformed myself with the stuff that I write about in this book because I had to. And so when you say hundreds of millions of dollars and all that, like that still to this day is so bizarre to me that that's true. Like had you (laughs) met me at any age, like even high school, I wasn't like a loser in high school. I was just like, oh, there's Eddie, Eddie Milet, you know, just another dude. You would have never picked me. I didn't have great grades, but I wasn't the dumbest kid. You know what I mean? Like I just was there. I was just a dude. Yeah. It's so interesting how people transform. And and you always talk about like those small actions that like really compound over time. And so for you is like hard work. It's not like you've this like extraordinary. I heard you on an interview say that you had a very average IQ. It's not like you're some very like extraordinarily smart person. You just work hard, right? Yeah. Well, I work smart too. So like, yeah, I'm not high IQ. In fact, the funny thing, I recently for the second time, just for fun in my family, there's my wife and two kids. We took the IQ test again. I'm fourth out of four in our own house. So kind of knowing <laughs> that, I know my limitations. Like I got to outwork people, but I also have to have stuff that that I can kind of cut corners on in life that are legal. You know what I mean? Like legal corner cutting that speed things up. And so I've learned all these strategies about like my time and my standards and my reticular activating system in my brain and how to program it. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't come to the table with, nor do I want people. If I were brilliant, I couldn't give people hope, right? If there was something super special about me, then I believe average ordinary people every day build extraordinary lives. And as you know, I coach some of the top people in the world, whether it's politics or entertainment or athletes, and some of them have extraordinary abilities. Mm-hmm. And some of them don't. And I've seen both types of people achieve in life. I'm just the one with not great abilities or talents that have achieved some pretty good stuff. Yeah. Well, you do have some great talents. You're an amazing communicator. And speaking of that, how did you learn how to master those skills at such a young age? Well, I'm watching you do it. So I'd be curious how you did it. But I young, I wasn't. In fact, my, my biggest fears was public speaking. But Napoleon Hill says in Think and Grow Rich, on the other side of temporary pain, you meet your other self. So if you can go through, I have a chapter in the book called One More Inconvenience. And I literally teach you how to chase inconvenient things. And so one of the most inconvenient things I could ever do would be to get up and speak in public. Actually, even to speak in private, like just three people in a room would be hard for me. But on the other side of that discomfort and that pain, I really learned a gift that I had. And, you know, God did give me a really pretty good deep voice. I could have known that all along, but I didn't. And then what I did is I studied speakers but not like public speakers. That's why my style is sort of different and why I, I just, there's a survey just came out and ranked me the number one speaker in the world. I'm like, wow. And to think 25 years ago, I never have done it because I didn't study speakers. I've studied comedians. I've studied my favorite standups. My, most of my best friends are standups. You know, I go to comedy clubs. Those are the best communicators on the planet to walk in a room full of strangers and make them laugh within 20 seconds. The way they use nuance, positioning, their body language, phraseology, the way they use silence, the way they use tonality. And then I also watch a lot of preachers. I've watched a lot of pastors over my lifetime, like TV pastors and stuff, because they're incredible orators. Now, I'm not like any of them, but I'm a little bit like all of them. And so that's how I actually did it was modeling. I think one of the lost art forms in the, in the world is modeling people, like not copying, but modeling them and then making it your own nuanced style. So that's, that's the exact answer of how I did it. Yeah, that's really interesting. You do sort of have that like comedian slash preacher <laughs> approach with your communication style. That's really interesting. So let's talk about transformation. So you recently lost your father. I did as well. I think we lost our dads around the same time. He actually lived sort of two lives. I think you were 15 years old. He got sober, right? And he basically transformed into this whole other person. And I'm sure that had a lot to do with your personal transformation as well and your ability to believe that people can change, right? So can you talk to us about that? You nailed it. So my belief that human beings can change is not a belief. It's a knowing. And it's a knowing because I watched my hero do it. First 15 years of my life, my dad got sober seven days before my 15th birthday. And I I told you it was 420. And it was nine days after his birthday. The rest of my life, my dad never celebrated his actual birthday, only celebrated his sobriety birthday. Wow. I believe human beings can change and know they can't because I watched my hero do it. First 15 years, my dad didn't live right. Did not live well at all. 
Last 35, extraordinary. Best life I've ever watched be lived. And so I know people can change. And it made a huge impact on me when my dad got sober. But there's the one mores, like out of the book, those lessons started with his sobriety. We're driving. Never seen my dad cry before. We're driving to a baseball game of mine, and he's crying when he's driving. I'm like, oh, no, what's going on? And finally, he pulls over, and he goes, hey, I'm going to go try to get sober one more time. Because he had tried many times. And he said, I'm going to give it one more try. There's a chapter in the book called One More Try. I said, Dad, what would be any different this time? And he said, uh, I'm going to lose everything. Your mom's taking you and the, the girls. So I'm going to lose my family. And you know what? You deserve a dad you can be proud of. Your mom deserves a husband she can respect. And then he got sober. I said, Daddy, are you going to stay sober forever? You're never going to drink again? He goes, I don't know. I'm just not going to drink for one more day. And there's been so many times in our life. So we, have to think, we think everything we have to decide is permanent. The truth is very few things are permanent. We both lost our fathers. Like our, their bodies weren't permanent, it turns out, right? They were temporary. And most things are temporary. So in business, many times I was going to quit because this idea, never quit, that's a hard thing to make. But a lot of times I went, you know what? Okay, I just won't quit for one more day. See how I do tomorrow. And then the next day, I just won't quit for one more day. And those one more started to really stack up. If I could tell you something that's new, that is just a new breakthrough for me, it's a long answer, yeah. so I apologize, but I wanted to share it with you because I, I already love you because the way you prepare. So I'll share something extra with you. I wrote this whole book about all these lessons. It's a very heavy book. Like there's a lot of detailed stuff on your brain and confidence and identity and time management and leadership and equanimity. And it's heavy. It's not, this is not like another book. Like, you know, most books are just another book. It's the same book. I agree. I read a book, like I read two books a week because of this job. And I felt like it was new stuff. Thank you. Yeah. Like I'm just, I love Think and Grow Rich, but about every book I read is like the same derivative of it, like in someone other's words. And I'm like, I already read this book. I already read it. I stopped reading it. And so this isn't that. But my, I woke up about two weeks ago. It's been three weeks now. And I woke my wife up and I said, babe, and I was pretty emotional. I said, babe, I want everyone to hear this. You can just remember this the rest of your life. It's not even in my book. I said, babe, someone helped my dad. And it never occurred to me before. She says, what? She's waking up. I said, someone helped my dad. The most important decision of my entire life is my dad getting sober. It's why I'm talking to millions of people, our kids, our grandkids, millions of people I've reached, some precious soul helped my daddy in the darkest moment, most shameful down moment of his life. Some human being rose up in their humanity to that moment and saved our family. And I don't know who they are. And it never occurred to me before. And I said, babe, it goes a level deeper. What qualified this person to help my dad? The thing they were the most ashamed of and embarrassed by, they were also an alcoholic and a drug addict at one point. So the things they were the most ashamed of, most embarrassed by, that they think disqualified them the most from winning, because most people listen to your show, they're like, yeah, but I'm young and you don't know about me, but like I've done this stuff I'm embarrassed by. I never did this well. I broke up with my boyfriend or girlfriend or I, my first business failed. Not me, I'm disqualified. The very things you're most embarrassed about, ashamed of, or think are average about you are the things that are qualifying you to change people's lives. This person, imagine when they were drinking driving drunk, making the biggest mistakes of their life. Little did they know they were preparing for that moment to change my dad's life and mine. And then millions of other people by extension, the ripple effect. When they were doing drugs and stealing money and lying, they were preparing. It's your humanity. It's your frailties. It's your weaknesses. It's the things you're most vulnerable when you share with other people and then show them how to do something better that changes people's lives. When you link your weakness, like I start out, I'm dumb. I'm not the dumbest guy in the world, but I'm not the smartest guy in the world. People go, I can't believe you say that about yourself. It's what helps me connect with you. If I had a 250 IQ, you'd be like, well, this dude's amazing. Of course he did it. <laughs> no, I got a 760 on my SATs. I'm a C plus student. I was not, you know, I didn't run a 4440. Like I'm just an average guy. And you know what? That's what prepares me to help you. And so that person's drug and alcohol addiction is what prepared them to change millions of people's lives. So never disqualify yourself. Wow, that was powerful. I had chills while you were telling that story. I love that. We are definitely going to cover a lot in your book. And I definitely want to spend about half the interview on that. But I do want to cover your journey. And I have a lot of questions for you personally. So let's get the highlight reel. I don't think we have time to go through your entire journey. But why don't we start uh, with your first job out of college? So you were unemployed, you were living in the house that you grew up in, and your dad told you to go work at a home for underprivileged boys. So talk to us about how that experience changed your life. My dad came home from his first AA meeting. Isn't that crazy? He just got sober. Wow. He goes, hey, I got you a job. 
And I said, what is it? He goes, you don't get to pick, man. You're eating out of my fridge. I had just finished college. I was not employed. I go down there and it's an orphanage. My boys were all wards of the court, meaning their families were gone or they were taken from. My boys, their parents either molested them, oh, man. were dead, or were incarcerated for major crimes. And so I walked into Cottage 8. My boys were all 8 to 10 years old. I had no preparation to be there. I was not a psychologist. I didn't have any kids of my own, and I didn't know what I was doing there. And a minute I walked in, they were all getting ready for school, and they all turned around and looked at me. And here I am. And it went on to be a three-year journey where I was their brother and father, and I took them to school and took them trick-or-treating. I was there Aww. on Thanksgiving when their uncle stood them up. I was their dad, their best friend, and it changed my life. And it changed my life because before that, I was all about me, baseball, my ego, my problems, my life. Well, when you have 10 boys that are 8 to 10 years old, depending on you, you don't have time to think about yourself. You have to think about them. And here's what I learned when I was there. And maybe this sounds hokey, but it's how I've made, I don't know, several hundred million dollars. So it's worth <laughs> listening to. You know those boys wanted for me? Someone to love them and someone to care about them. And here's a biggie that most people don't get. Someone to believe in them. Believe in them. And then just show them how to do better. And while I was there, I started in my financial company and started other businesses with real estate and stuff when I was there. And as I got out of there, I realized something. They weren't unique. Do you know what you want? Do you know what my best athletes want that I coach? The people that run countries that I work with? The most famous people you see me golfing with or whatever people that I work with? Mm -hmm. They want people to love them, care about them. Here's a big one. Believe in them and then just show them how to do something better. So when I started my financial company, I came from a place of loving people, caring about people, truly believing in people. And then, hey, let me show you. When I can connect with you like that, now let me show you how I can help you. Yeah. And that's where I've always built all my businesses, my podcast, my financial, my tech companies, my chocolate company, my food company, my financial company, my real estate empire, all built based on what I learned from those boys. And here's the last thing. God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. I wasn't qualified to be there with those boys. But when I got there, I was called to be there. He then qualified me to help them. And so you don't have to be prepared all the time in life and know everything in order to step in somewhere and really make a difference. I love that. Do you still keep in touch with any of those boys? No one's ever asked me that. God bless you. Yeah, about three quarters of them. Well, one of them's passed away and a couple of them we, you know, just lost contact with over time, but they are, they're, they're men with families now. And so, yeah, I, I do. And no one has ever asked that follow-up question in all the years I've talked about that. So yeah, I do. I love them. They're, they're my family. And now a quick break from our sponsors. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They're in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who wanna try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, 
we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at YAP. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So something that's really interesting is you just talked about, you just alluded to the fact that you have like 20 different businesses that you're invested in. And a lot of people think that in order to be rich, you've got to have all these different income streams. You have to have multiple income streams, passive income and all these different things. But it turns out, Focus is really how you build your wealth, and then you can kind of diversify your income later. So, can you talk to us about the importance of focus and really getting good at one thing? Yeah, it's a lie that uh, it's a fact that's not true that mul- uh, all millionaires have multiple streams of income. So, then what do we do when we have no money? We go, Well, I got a multiple lines. I got to have a mortgage business. I'm going to do an auto detailing deal over there. I got a cannabis thing over here, and you end up broke. So, although it's true, it's it, although it's a fact, it's not true. What do I mean by that? Once you become worth millions of dollars, then you diversify your income streams into multiple streams. But the path to getting there is by doing one thing greatly. Get great. Be the best mortgage broker. Be the best realtor. Be the best entrepreneur. Be the best whatever it is you do. Be the best podcaster. Be the best influencer and build that thing great. Greatness rises. Greatness creates wealth. And if I'm full-time at being great in one industry, and you're splitting it between three, I'm gonna kick your ass. There's no way when you're doing three things and I'm in the same one where we overlap and I'm doing one. Imagine I wanted to be a major league baseball player and I'm coming up and I go, yeah, but I also wash clothes on the weekends. I'm learning to play the (laughs) piano and I'm a plumber, but you play baseball all day long. Who's gonna be the major league baseball player? The idea that, oh, I'm gonna diversify. So many of you are doing two and three things. God bless you, you're doing it for the right reasons and you're you're losing energy. You're depleting your ability to grow. You're going to get smoked by the person who dominates that space you're in. Dominate the space you're in. Dominate the business you're in. Become a millionaire and then go multiple streams of income. Get focused. I totally, totally agree. I mean, I see it with podcasters all the time. There's people who are podcasters who have no idea how podcasting works, how to make money in podcasting, how sponsorships work, how anything works. And it's like, you've got to learn your craft if you actually want to be successful at it or else nothing's going to happen. So here's another point that I think is just so, it was so inspiring for me when I was like just learning more about you. And that's how you, you always talk about actually stepping into your dream, the need to actually experience your dream. I remember I heard you tell a story about you and your wife, like going to the Ritz Carlton and, and just doing that for one day to just feel like it's like what it's like to have valet parking and things like that. Today, you have a private jet and like that's insane. You know, you've elevated yourself to a point where barely anybody makes it to that point to be able to afford a private jet. And so talk to us about the need to actually experience your dream. You should touch your dreams. And the reason is you belong in them, but you move towards what you're most familiar with in your life. So if you're familiar all the time with your current thoughts and your current life, you'll constantly keep moving towards it. So every once in a while, you got to go touch your dreams. So like you said, when I was up and coming, I would set contests up with myself. If I didn't hit them, I wouldn't do it. But I'd say, babe, if I make 10 sales this month and I make eight grand, let's take 500 bucks. And let's go down to the Ritz-Carlton on Saturday night. We'll get the cheapest room there. 
but I would touch the dream. And so I'd get there like a big shot. You know, I'd flip my keys to the valet. I never done that crap before. You know, hey, Mr. Milet, <laughs> they grab your bags. I used to be so cheap. I'm like, no, we got our bags because I don't want to give the, the bellman four bucks. <laughs> now I'm like, no, you get my bag, man. You walk up, you check in. Hey, babe, let's get up into the room. You go get a massage, honey. I'm going to go play some golf. I'll meet you at the pool later. Let's have a bottle of wine. And so for one day, we would touch this dream. We'd sit there and go, babe, we're going to live like this all the time someday. We just take a taste. And then maybe six weeks later, we do it again. Eight weeks later, we go out to the La Quinta Resort, you know, do it again. And all of a sudden, over time, I'm like, I'm kind of familiar with the valet. I'm kind of familiar with the oceanfront. I'm kind of familiar with the golf course. And I'm like, we belong here. All of a sudden, the more familiar I became with it, then I start looking at the houses when I'm there, right? Then I start playing the golf a little bit different. Mm -hmm. And over time, I'm like, we belong here because I didn't grow up like that. We used to walk on the beach I live on right now. We go to the Ritz. I, I can walk to the Montage. That was the other place we would go after I got older. I walk right to the Montage for breakfast now. But we would come down this beach when we were kids. I say, babe, I'm going to get us a house on this beach someday when we'd be taking these walks. No idea how I was going to do it. She says, you are, honey? I'm like, someday, because we're high school sweethearts. I'm like, yeah, someday we're going to do it. And then I come home, I'd say to my dad, I'd say, dad, who are these people? Who are these people that have these? He goes, dude, I have no idea who these freaking people are. I've never met any of them. I have no, I've never met someone who lives oceanfront. Yeah. And then I figured it out. They're the one. See, in the book, I have this chapter called The Matrix. I love The Matrix about your RAS, but the real reason I read about The Matrix is because Neo in The Matrix is the one. See, in every family, if you find a family that's wealthy or successful or happy, but you go all the way back in their lineage, at one point they weren't. And then the one shows up. The one in that family rises up, takes all the hits, fights for that family. I'm the one in my family. And they change that family forever. The world doesn't treat the Milets like they used to. No one's got their thumb on my family anymore. We think different. We operate in the world different because the one showed up, the one. And if you're listening to this, you're the one in your family. You're the one. And over time of walking these beaches, over time of going to the Ritz-Carlton, I figured out I'm the freaking one and I'm the one that's going to do it. Now I literally live on the beach. It's one on an island. That's about an island. That's a hundred acres. You said I have a wow. jet. I'll just be honest. I had five jets. I've owned five oh, wow. jets in my life. And so you go from that to how broke I once was in my life, I've had the water turned off in my apartment. I've been completely without power, without water, without a cell phone. I've gone to an ATM and prayed. I had 21 bucks at the bank, so it would spit a 20 out because all it would spit was 20s. And I got 14 bucks in there and I can't even get a $20 bill out of an ATM. I know what all that is, but I also know what it's like to touch my dreams. And now I know what it's like to live my dreams. And what's different about me than most people is I didn't get rich telling people how to get rich. I got rich, then I tell people what I did to get rich. And so in this book is the strategies of how I did it. And I documented it. Yeah, it's a really good book. I think a great transition and foundation to before we talk about the book is to talk about the reticular activating system, the RAS. Uh, we've talked about neuroplasticity a lot on the show. We've had John Asaraf on and Dr. Caroline Leaf and We've talked a bit about this, but I'd love to hear it from your perspective. So what is the reticular activating system and how do things like stepping into your dream activate the system? You're one of my favorite interviews ever, seriously. So RAS is oh, chapter thanks. two of my book. I cover it. I call it the matrix in the book, but here's what it is. It's the filter that reveals to you everything that matters to you in your life that's important. And it proves to you that you're right. It's the prover. It keeps you sane too. Otherwise, you'd be thinking about all the stimulus, the blood in your right ear going right now, you're breathing, right? So. You have to stay sane. So it reveals to you what's most important to you. I'll give you an example. I just bought a Tesla about a week ago. I like what Elon Musk is doing. I call my team. I go, hey, get me one of these Teslas. I'm going to start driving the guy's car. Next day, Tesla's in my driveway. And I'm driving it. All of a sudden, now I'm like seeing freaking Teslas everywhere. Babe, red one. There's a white one. The other day, I'm like, there's three in a row. You got to be kidding. I'm on the freeway. Three lanes over, the other direction going the other way. Babe, there's a black Tesla. I see him everywhere now. Weren't they always there? They were. Yeah. But I didn't see them before because they weren't a part of my RAS. They weren't programmed in my filter. When you go into a crowded room, I go into a crowded room. There could be 500 people in a room, audibly. They don't have to say it loud. Someone says, Ed, if I hear that name, I can hear it audibly over why. It's, it's important to me. So the key thing in life is that programming your mind, that the Teslas become the relationships, the meetings, the thoughts, the breakthroughs you have to have in your life. They were always there. They are there right now. But you're not seeing them because they're not programmed into your RAS. They're not programmed like the Tesla is. How do you program? I teach you in the book, but I'll give you one thing. Repeated hyper visualizations of your dreams and your imagination and what you want. I have a chapter in the book where I say become an impossibility thinker and a possibility achiever. And here's the deal. In your life, you operate out of either two frames, 
of thinking. 99% of the people operate once they're an adult out of history and memory. They operate out of it. They have patterns of thoughts, patterns of behaviors. They operate out of this and they reinforce it with different people, different circumstances, same life. 1% of the people operate out of imagination and dream. That's what they did when they were a child. The reason you were happier when you were a little girl or a little boy, one, you were closer to God because you had just left there. Two, you had no history and memory to operate out of. You operate out of imagination. So to flip that in your life, you start imagining and dreaming. When you have a thought, an actual thought, it creates a space in your world that did not exist prior to that thought being created. And now your mind goes to work on filling it up with references and proof. So if you worry about your anxieties, your fears, your worries, your past, you constantly find the Teslas that reinforce that. Mm. If you've created a thought that's about the future and an imagination and a dream, and you go touch it once in a while, and you repeatedly visualize it over and over again, very simple, I teach you how to do it in the book, you're doing it anyway. You're repeatedly visualizing and thinking about what you're worried about, what you fear all the time. I'm just flipping it into imagination. Then you'll begin to see those Teslas of your life, the meetings, the people, the places, the things. And by the way, you're one podcast away, one decision away, one meeting, one relationship away from changing your life. That's the power of one more also. Yeah. And so with the RAS, you could actually program it in a bad way. You could be thinking about bad things, saying bad things about yourself, and then you perceive the world with all these bad things that you don't want. So can you talk to us about how to make sure that we program it in the right way? Programming in the right way is repeated thoughts, visualizations. It's associating with people that also can reinforce those beliefs and thoughts. If you want to know how powerful our, our, our RAS is, let's go back to the drug addict or alcoholic example. Mm-hmm. You will find a way to get what you're obsessed with in your life. So if you're obsessed with your worries and your fears, you'll find a way to get them. You'll get them. Every week, you'll get them. No matter how good life is, you'll get that depression. You'll get that anxiety. You'll get that anger. You'll get that worry because it's familiar. Caroline Leaf has a really interesting thing where she she talks about like a lot of times like our emotions aren't good or bad. They just are. And so whatever they are, you're going to get them. That drug addict though, think about this for a minute. Isn't it incredible? Think of someone you know maybe that's had a drug problem. Mm -hmm. They could literally be living on the street. No resources, no job, no money, no nothing. Somehow every day they find a way to get those drugs, don't they? How do they, maybe they got to do something illegal, whatever they got to do, they get those drugs. They get them with no resources, no preparation, no nothing. So what if those drugs became your dreams? The fact that you have no preparation, the fact that you have no resources is inconsequential. People prove it every day with the negative stuff in their life, don't they? But you can prove it with the positive stuff in your life. And the way you do it is repeatedly visualizing it. The other thing you do is you begin to do one more. In your life, stay with me. I have a chapter on goals, which is great. I'll show you how to set goals the best way I know how. But at best, you're going to get 25% of your goals if they're ambitious. What will you get all the time in your life? Your standards. You will eventually always get your standards. So goals without standards are empty. That's why I teach the goal chapter and the standards chapter together. Standard, stay with me. You've had someone on your show who stole my content, I guarantee you, because I've been saying this for 30 years and says, if you want to build self-confidence, you got to keep the promises you make to yourself. Yes. Everyone says that now. I'm pretty sure I said it first, but even if I didn't, who cares? And so if you don't have any self-confidence, it's because you have a reputation with yourself of keeping the, you don't keep the promises you make. You want to build self-confidence? Start keeping the promises you make, which is great, but anybody can do that. But what if you change the standard? What if it was one more? What if I don't just keep the promises I make to myself, but I do one more? So I'm not just going to keep the promise to work out and do 10 reps in the gym. I'm going to do it and do one more. I'm not just going to do cardio and do 30 minutes. I'm going to do it and one more minute. I'm not just going to make 10 contacts and they keep that promise. I'm going to do the 10 contacts, keep the promise, and my standard's one more. I'm not just going to tell my daughter I love her every day and keep that promise to myself. I'm going to do it, and then I'm going to do it one more time every day. Now you're superhuman. Now you've transformed yourself into someone who had no self-confidence to confidence to superhuman. And so that's the standard that changes our life, and that's how we begin to reprogram our RAS. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. Hey, AppFam. Starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course, subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full-time, 
or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, and she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. That was nearly a decade ago. And now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. And that's all lowercase. If you want to start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you want to start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Shopify.com slash profiting for $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You gotta beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. I love this concept of one more. I have to say, it's a very unique concept. I read self-improvement books all the time. And I love the fact that you're just saying, like, just go a little further, like give it 110%. Don't just stop at 100. It's not enough. So I love that. So your book comes out June 1st. Is it still coming out June 1st? Yeah, as far as I know. I hope so. (laughs) Amazing. I was lucky to get a copy of it before. Like I said, I absolutely loved it. You just kind of went over one more. So let's talk about identity. I think that's the next good point to kind of discuss. Let's talk about how you define identity and how our identity is shaped in childhood. Well, it's installed in us. So our parents install, our loving parents, even if they're loving, they install some of their limiting beliefs into us when we're defenseless, when we're kids. We don't know. My dad, God bless him. I love my father very much. He was a great man. But he would have this thing he would always say to me, you'll get a kick out of this. He'd say, be careful. Since I was a little boy, hey, daddy, I'm going to look. Hey, have a great game. Be careful. I don't even think he knew why he was saying it. I'm 50 years old last year. What do you got going today? I go, oh, I'm taking Max the age games. Have a great time. Be careful. What am I being <laughs> careful for? Right? I got a speech in front of 30,000. He goes, crush the speech. Be careful. Like, he just, it's a figure of speech, right? But it's reflective of something inside him. And my dad was not a risk taker. My dad always wondered who's out. And so I got older and I grew up like, oh, I got to be careful. What are they going to do to me? I, maybe I don't want to make a mistake. What are people going to think about me? I don't want to blow this business deal. I don't want, I, I'd worry. Why am I a worrier? Because I've always been told to be careful. 
He didn't even mean it, but he said it. And so that became part of my identity. Your identity is your self-worth. It's the thoughts, beliefs, and concepts that you hold to be the most true about you. Here's the best analogy I give on it. Your identity is the thermostat setting of your life. So in this room, it's set at 75 degrees. It's actually not. It's actually set at 70 today. So we'll use 70. It's at 70 degrees. Outside, I live at the beach. It's about 85 degrees right now. The external conditions have nothing to do with this thermostat. Because when it's 85 outside, the air conditioner kicks on and regulates the room to 70. That's your life. I'm going to explain your life to you now, everyone. So if you stay at a 70-degree identity, let's just say there's different ones. Faith, fitness, fun, bliss, peace, money. Let's just use success, money, let's just say. You have a 70-degree internal thermostat worth of money. And you start learning all these skills on the, the podcast and in your business. And now you're at 80. Man, you're cranking. You're making 150 grand. Two, 95 degrees of money. Eventually, when those results exceed your identity, you will unconsciously turn the air conditioner on of your life. Uh-oh, everyone's like, holy shit, he's right. And you will eventually, over time, cool it back down to exactly what that thermostat setting is, no matter what. And it'll seem coincidentally like, no, 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 crypto dropped. Uh, the stock market went the wrong way. Our interest rates went up. Supply chain. Uh, I had to loan my friend some money. Uh, my car broke down. My mom needed help. Baloney. You turn the air conditioner on in your life and you got it back. You see it in fitness. Someone's a 70 degree fitness person. They got 20 pounds, too much weight. They lose the weight. You see them a year later, they put it back on. Air conditioner kicked back on. So the key thing is as you're accumulating skills is to adjust your identity. And in the chapter, in the book, I teach a trilogy of identity. I'll just give you what it is without teaching it. Faith. If you're a person of faith, it's amazing to me how someone will go to church on Sunday and worship God. I'm a Christian, but whatever your faith is, or their mosque, or their synagogue, or maybe they'll go to Bible study. God's with them then. But when they walk into a sales call, they're alone. When they walk into a business meeting, they're alone. Bring your faith with you into your business life. Two, intentions. Give yourself more credit for your intentions in your life. You intend to serve. You intend. Before we did the show today, I turned my camera off real quick. I said, just give me a second. And I just went, Lord, just please bless me today. Let me make, say the right words on the show. And then I remind myself, I intend to help people today. I may not have every answer, but my intentions are good. My identity comes from that. And then the third part of the trilogy is associations. If you're around 150 degrees and you're a 70 degreeer, they will heat you up by proximity over time. And the closer you get to them, the more they can heat you up. And so faith, intention, association. Yes, I love that. I want to dig deep on some of these. So let's talk about intention. So a lot of people, we were talking about it before, sometimes we have negative self-talk and we truly believe we don't deserve what we want. Like we might want to be a doctor, but like deep down inside, we don't feel like we're worth it to be a doctor. Can you talk about how we need to understand that our intention matters of wanting that goal? Because if we never really accept that we can achieve it, we'll never get it. I was 28 years old and I want a trip to Hawaii for my financial business. And luckily, I get up before the sun does. And back in those days, I'm 100 years old. So no one used to work out that was in the business world. There was like people at the gym and they were all like in construction or blue collar. White collar people never worked out. I was one of the first ones, you know, and I'm like, so I got up to run. Sun's not up yet. There's this guy running towards me on the beach, bald guy, hairy back, sweating. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> and he gets closer to me. And it's a man named Wayne Dyer. And Wayne Dyer is one of the all-time most beautiful thought leaders, influencers before there were influencers of all time. And it was a hero of mine. Like there was Tony Robbins and Wayne Dyer. And God's good that he brought both of them into my life as friends. So that morning he runs by me. I go, wait, Dr. Dyer. I had a Walkman, Sony Walkman. Huh? So <laughs> And I go, Dr. Dyer, you changed my life. And he had a deep voice like me. He turns around. He pulls his Walkman off. He goes, well, I doubt that. You probably changed your life. But how did I help? And he walks towards me and we sit down on the beach. And for the next 90 minutes, I watch the sun come up and I talk with one of the greatest thought leaders in the world. And in that conversation, he said, Ed, you're going to change the world. I'm sure he said that to other people, right? But at the time I was like, really? <laughs> and I, he said, you're brilliant. The way you think about the mind and life and business, my gosh. And he goes, and that's not why. And he goes, and if you begin to attach your confidence and worth, Ed, to your abilities and your achievements, you're in big trouble. And I went, what? I thought you were supposed to do that. He goes, Ed, you'll always be chasing it. And when you have a setback or you have a, it's going to cascade down on you. I go, well, then what should I attach my worth to? He said, you're going to change the world, Ed, because your heart's so beautiful. Your intentions are amazing. Focus on your intentions all your life. You intend to make a difference. You intend to get the, he goes, you know, there's nothing wrong, Ed, with walking into a meeting going, I don't know, but I'll find out. There's nothing wrong with saying I've changed my mind. There's nothing wrong with saying I was wrong. 
And he said, you have beautiful intentions. And it was something I knew, by the way, everyone listening to this, they know about themselves. I went, well, I never believed my abilities were great. Anybody ever told me, I'm like, yeah, but you know, or you're being nice. But when someone says you intend to help, you intend to do good. I'm like, "Mm, you got me there. You're right. I do. And so for the rest of my life so far, I've attached my worth, my identity to my intention to when I walked into that orphanage, was I the most skilled psychologist or dad in the world? No. My intentions were to love those boys. My intentions were to show up for them every day and make a difference in their life. And I showed up damn big. I showed up strong. I've showed up to a lot of business meetings, not the most smart guy in the room, but I showed up intending to help people and I've shown up big. So this thing of linking to your intentions will change your life. Yeah, I think this is just so powerful, like not being worried about where you are now in the present and realizing that your potential is your intentions to improve in your life. And that is huge. So one other thing that I learned about you when I was studying you is how loyal you are. Like you're really loyal. You've been with the same woman since you were in grade school, which for me, I, as, like a, as a woman, I'm like, oh, wow, this is like a good man. I would love to understand, like, how do you design your social circle in terms of the associations you make in your life? Because clearly you've kept some people around for a long time. You didn't just go try to find a new circle. There's a lot of people that you've kept around. So how do you design your social circle? That whole thing, like drop certain people. I've had to drop a few, but not that many. What I have done with people that don't serve me any longer is I've reduced my proximity to them. I don't see them as much. But for them to be banished from my life, I've not done a lot of that. I add new people. And so what I try to do when I add new people is I want to, I want people that love me, but I actually look for a criteria in people that do they support my values? And so like, I don't like when I, uh, I go to Vegas a couple times a year with a group of men, all of them are amazing husbands. A couple of them are pastors of churches, you know, like that doesn't hurt, but like, I don't want to be around <laughs> dudes who don't live that part of their life correctly because it might rub off on me. I'm not perfect. So I don't want to rub off on me. If someone is, um, doesn't keep their word or isn't meticulous in telling the truth. We all have that friend. We're like, he is such a bullshitter, right? You have that friend. They're not going to be around me that much. Yeah. I want people that believe in me. And here's the biggie. I have a lot of people. I have a lot of funny friends. You see them on my social media. Like I have people that really make you laugh. I love people that make me laugh and I'm an introvert. So I like to be around extroverted people so I can just be a fly on the wall. And so, but a big one is that I want people who don't accept me as I am. And most people are looking for friends who accept them as they are. I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for acceptance. I'm looking for people that believe in me so much that they think I could even be better than I am. And they hold me to that standard. There's that standard word again, that when I'm around them, here's a biggie. Wow. Are you going to be shocked when you listen to this one, everyone? If more than 5% of our friends' conversations are about, remember when? Remember? You remember? You remember? George Lopez has this great skit on it. What do you do when you get a lot of your friends? Reminisce, which is cool a little bit, 5% of the time. But that means you're operating out of that history and memory. Most of my friends, we do a little, I mean, very little of the remember, but we do a lot of imagining. We do a lot of dreaming. We do a lot of, here's where I'm going, man. Here's what I'm thinking. Here's what we could do. Let's do this next. We operate in the present, but we talk about the future a lot, not the past. I don't want a lot of friends to talk about the past. I can do that anytime I want. That ain't where I'm at right now. Yeah, that's huge. I love that advice. Okay, let's talk about the difference between self-confidence and identity. I think this is another big concept in your book. Talk to us about what we need to understand when it comes to self-confidence and how it differs from identity. Well, self-confidence is that relationship. It's a reputation that you have with yourself. Identity is who you believe you are. And so they're connected. They're like identical twin sisters, but they're not exactly the same. Self-confidence is a relationship and reputation with yourself. That's what it is. And for me, there's another side of self-confidence that most people don't talk about, which is humility. Mm -hmm. I want friends that have tremendous humility along with their self-confidence because humility keeps you curious. It keeps you growing. Only a super self-confident, truly self-confident person can be humble because they're comfortable with themselves enough to say, I could get better. It takes strength to say I could get better. It takes strength to have humility. And so I look for that. And I Hope I have that. Identity is actually who you believe you are and what you believe you're worth. And that's a whole different animal altogether. And so although I want you to have a ton of self-confidence, you could be the most confident thing in the world. But what if you've placed your confidence in an identity about yourself that's way less than is true? So I'm very confident in who I am. You ever meet these people? That's just who I am. And they're really confident about it. It's just who I am, man. 
It's just who I, they're really confident they're right. <laughs> so they got a ton of self-confidence. They're just wrong or limited than themselves in their identity. And so although I really believe working on your confidence is not that difficult to do and you should do, the real hard work in life is to change that identity. Because that identity, you started developing that thing when you were a little girl and you fed it over time. And so that identity is this thing you're never going to escape. It's that thermostat setting of your life. And for me, it's, look, if I'm really the child of a loving God, if you really believe that, how am I not amazing? How am I not been born to do something great with my life? So if you have a faith, attach it to your identity. I'm your brother because we're the same bloods running through both of us, but I'm a child of an awesome God. So there's that. My intentions, man, I really want to make a difference in the world. I really want to help people. I'm looking at the ocean right now. I could actually just have my butt on that beach right now every single day if I wanted to. But that's not what my intentions lie. My intentions lie that someone's listening to this right now and it's going to change their life. You're going to grab my book. It's going to change their freaking life. So my intentions are good. And then third, I'm around people all the time who believe in me, who challenge me, who push me, who are further down the road. There's this great Chinese proverb that says, if you want to know the road ahead, ask those coming back. Mm. And so I try to have some friends in my life that are older than me that have already been down the road I'm going, and I can ask them for directions. And so for me, for most of you, I could be that person. Mine is people you know really, really well who run big, big companies and are well-known people. But only reason it's not because they're well-known, it's they've been down the road and they're coming back. And so I want to know the road ahead. And so that's who you should have in your life is someone like that. And by the way, not all your associations have to be in person. They could be a book. When I read a book, I pretend I'm living with Napoleon Hill that week. I'm living with Ed Milet. He's speaking to me. These words were written for me. He's talking to me. I've spent the week with Wayne Dyer many times when I wasn't with him before I met him. I felt like when I met him, I knew him. When people meet me, my biggest compliment give me is they feel like they know me. And that means they've really studied me. They've really been in my life. And hopefully when I make an Instagram post or I have a podcast or a YouTube video or I write a book, they're like, you're talking to me. And that's association as well as is stuff like this. Yeah, 100%. I have to say that I feel like, especially if you're just starting out, if you just read and keep leveling up and leveling up and leveling, eventually you're going to meet your mentors that you're reading, just like what you're saying. I've been listening to Ed Milet for years. Now I'm interviewing him, you know, because I leveled myself up to be able to have the opportunity to do something like that. And part of that is learning and studying and doing things on your own. And sometimes your mentors are people you don't really get to talk to, to your point. So I love that. Okay, so one story that I want you to share that I think is going to help us like kind of wrap things up and, and round things out is your story about your uncle who passed away when he was just 50 years old and how that really triggered you to create a healthier lifestyle for yourself and set your perspective in terms of how you set goals and standards and some of the things that you've been alluding to that I really want you to cover before we end. I want to acknowledge you, though. I mean, you really do your research. You really do. You're incredible. Thank you. My uncle was my godfather. And in my family, uh, godfather's a big deal. I looked like him. You ever have that relative you look like? You kind of look like him, right? So I, I kind of looked like him. He was walking through the lobby of a hotel when he was 50, and he passed over and died of a massive heart attack. Young family, three children. And when I was at his funeral, I was flying back with my wife on the airplane, and heart attacks are in my RAS now. And the Oprah Winfrey show's playing on the TV on the radio of the TV of the airplane. All of a sudden, I have my headphones on, listen, and I see this heart on the screen. I notice it. I unplug my headphones, plug it into the plane system. They're talking about these new scans that could read for plaques and arteries. And I go to Christiana, I go to my wife, I go, hey, sign me up for one of those. She goes, why? You're barely 30. I go, I don't know. I think I should get it done. She's like, you're the fittest dude in the world. I go, just schedule me. And so I end up going to do the scan and I had a doctor who understood influence and change. What do most doctors do? Okay, here's your prescription. He didn't do that. So you do the scan. I went to lunch. I literally got a burrito. I came back in and I'm in the <laughs> lobby. There's two people in the lobby. This doctor knew who I was. He was pretending, but he was getting leverage on me. Because when you have big enough reasons, remember this, you'll do anything for those reasons. That's my chapter on goal settings, mainly about reasons. So he goes, I'm looking for Edward Milet. And I go, I'm Ed Milet. And he goes, oh. And he looks down at my chart and we're standing in the lobby still. And he goes, oh my God. I can't believe these arteries are in that young of a man's body. And I went, what the f is in that scan? Right? He's already got my attention, right? He knows how to present. He goes, wow, come with me, young man. And we walked in silence back into his office. He sits down, he closes the folder. So my information's in that folder. 
What could he have really done? This is in sales too. You could just give the presentation, but they didn't create the need or the reasons. He didn't get me emotional because you're always making people feel something. He took control of what he wanted me to feel. Most people aren't intentional about their energy and what they make people feel. He puts it down. He goes, let me just ask you a question, young man. I said, yeah. He goes, are you married? And he knew. I said, I am, sir. You love your wife? I go, yeah, I met her when we were little kids. He goes, you got a son? I said, yeah, I got a little two-year-old. And he goes, that's awesome. He goes, you have any interest in being at his high school graduation? I said, what did you just say? He goes, do you want to be at his high school graduation? I said, of course I do. He goes, you're not going to be. Not the road you're going. You're going to be just like your uncle, Mike. Now I know he knows about me. And he goes, you got a little girl? I said, yeah, she's a little baby. And this is where you get to a dad. He goes, what's her name? I said, Bella. He goes, do you want to walk her down the aisle on her wedding day? Or is she going to be on the arm of another man giving her away? I went, what the f- is in that scan, dude? And he goes, you listen to me very carefully, young man. If you don't change what you're doing, you won't be there for that graduation. There'll be another man on the arm of your beautiful wife running around your mansion. And that same guy is going to walk your daughter down the aisle on her wedding day if you don't change things. I'm like, what is in that scan? Now he's got me, right? That's how you sell, by the way. And he goes, there's the good news. If you do exactly what I tell you to do, you'll walk that little precious girl of yours down the aisle someday. And if you don't, it's not going to happen. You do exactly what I tell you, workout, nutrition, supplements, the medication, and I've done it. People ask me, you're 51. You're one of the more fit dudes in the world at your age. Why is it? Because about 10 million mornings a year, I'm exaggerating. I wake up and I don't want to go work out. And I go, Bella's wedding. And I get my ass up out of that bed and I go work out. I've been on the road for three days. I haven't, you know, there's no Bella's wedding. Get up, find a gym. And so it's changed my life, that meeting, because he got leverage on me and reasons. You show me a man or a woman with big enough reasons, really big reasons, which are always born out of love. I'll show you somebody who will get up and do anything to make that happen. And that's the reason why I'm still here. Hopefully she's not getting married anytime soon. But if she does, I'm ready to walk her down the aisle. It's such a beautiful story. And it's so powerful because it's empty. Like goals can be really empty, right? Goals can be empty, hard to follow through on if there's no big reason behind it. And so I guess the moral of the story is to have a reason and have it be connected to love and people. Like you just said, I think that's another key point too. Yeah. People always ask me, what are your reasons? There are two things. They're your dreams or other people. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, so one last thing before we wrap up, and that's your concept of blissful dissatisfaction. I feel like this is a really important point that I want my listeners to understand because you say there's two great motivators. There's wanting something and trying to get that thing. And then there's also avoiding pain. So talk to us about why we need both and uh, then we can close things up. You can get both levers. So what did the doctor do that day? The pain of me dying and missing my daughter's wedding and also the pleasure of being there. So those are the two big drivers in our life. But what most of us do, I believe in the concept of blissful dissatisfaction. Here's what most people do. They conflate and confuse two things. Satisfaction is not happiness. You can actually be happy and still dissatisfied. You can do both. Satisfaction and happiness aren't the same thing. So I've learned to live blissfully and still be dissatisfied. Dissatisfaction means I'm capable of more. I'm not there yet. I'm dissatisfied. I'm going to go get it. But most people conflate those things. So people think to themselves, well, like achievers, they're big on this. Man, I'll enjoy it when. I'll give myself bliss when. I got to stay perpetually unhappy and dissatisfied because they think it's the same thing. So when I get to a million bucks in the bank, then I'll enjoy myself. Then I'll give myself bliss. When I get the dream relationship, then I'll be blissful. When my podcast is number one, then I'll be blissful. When I'm this or that, then I'll be blissful. When I get to a million followers, then I'll be blissful. And they delay their bliss until a destination in the future. The problem is the finish line keeps moving. And eventually, if you don't give yourself bliss for what you're doing, you burn out because your brain doesn't get any dopamine for its success. And it eventually goes, it concludes, I don't want to do this anymore. You've talked enough about neuroplasticity and understand the neurology of the brain that if you don't get dopamine for doing something over and over and over again, you stop. Then there's the other people. They think, well, if I, you know, if I lose this pain I'm in, then I'll lose my drive and ambition. Neither is true. You ever bite into a, like a steak you love or any food you love? That first steak's blissful. You give yourself a total dose of bliss. Does it make you want to take another bite or no? Of course it does. So the amount of bliss you get in celebrating your wins and your success actually gets you to do more of that very thing, not less of that very thing. And so I've learned to live blissfully happy and still be dissatisfied. In fact, I think I'm a pretty good example of that. Like, I'm a pretty darn happy, blissful person, but I'm not satisfied. I got more to do, more people to help, more things to achieve, more memories I want to create. So I've learned to live in bliss 
You don't have to live in misery as you're chasing your dream. You don't have to be miserable and angry and down and delay bliss to get there. In fact, take it from me, because I used to do that, and here's what I figured out. I was winning in spite of that flawed belief system, not because of it. And what I figured out is the more I celebrate, the more I enjoy, the more I give myself dopamine hits, the bigger I get, the more I expand, the more I grow. And so learn to be in bliss and dissatisfied at the same time. I love that. Okay, so we asked the same last two questions to all of our guests, and then we do some fun stuff at the end of the year. So the first one is, what is one actionable thing that my young and profiters can do today to become more profitable tomorrow? Do the inconvenient thing. I have a chapter in the book called One More Inconvenience. It's change your relationship with pain. Begin to willing to do hard and difficult things. When you look at your given day or your week, do the inconvenient thing, not the convenient thing. Everyone does the convenient thing. Do the inconvenient, most difficult thing you could possibly do because that's the thing that produces the biggest results. And what is your secret to profiting in life? It's the service of other people. I want to help someone else. So my secret of profiting is that I solve people's problems. My businesses solve a problem. And so if you can find a problem and you can solve it, you're going to win. By the way, you don't have to always create a new industry either. Sometimes it's getting into an industry that already exists and just doing it better than what the competition does. And in a lot of businesses nowadays, small is better. Nimble is better. You can move quicker. You can pivot. You can adjust. You can course correct much faster and much better and much more boldly with better customer service, better culture than a big company because they have take longer to move and make decisions. I love that. And where can our listeners go find more about you and everything that you do? You can go get The Power of One More anywhere books are sold. You can go to thepowerofonemore.com and you can get a bunch of tools that will enhance the book. You can go to Ed Milet, and my last name is M-Y-L-E-T-T, and you can go anywhere. Social, Instagram, probably my biggest platform social is Instagram, but I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on everywhere, but Instagram, I've got a, a very, you know, pretty successful podcast that I do with Sirius now, but you can listen to it on iTunes and Spotify and Stitcher, anywhere you can get a podcast, Apple, and I got a YouTube channel as well. So anything with my name on it, just type my name in, you'll find me. And we're going to stick all those links in the show notes. Ed, this was such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. So thank you so much. God bless you. Man, this was the first time that I ever met Ed in person. And I have to say, I was absolutely blown away by him. I was like on a high after that interview because he's just got such good vibes, such good energy, and he dropped so much knowledge. So I'm just going to leave you guys with a couple of critical takeaways and remind you that you can always revisit and replay this episode later. I know I'm definitely going to be listening to this one a bunch of times. All right. So the first takeaway that I had from this conversation is that if you're looking to profit in life, and be financially successful, you've got to dominate the space you're in before you distribute your energy and focus across different income streams. This is something that me and Ed talked about and something that I see a lot. A lot of people have lofty dreams and they're spreading themselves too thin. There's lots of millionaires that we look up to that now have their hands in many different industries and juggling different companies. But if you look back at the core of their success, you'll find that it stems from being the best at one one singular thing. The path to diversifying is by way of doing one thing great and being the best at it. Put all your attention and energy into being the very best podcaster or the very best artist, financial advisor, whatever it is that you want to be. And once you've achieved massive success in that singular industry and you know the ins and outs of it, only then should you step up, diversify, and explore new opportunities. Secondly, and I think this one is a huge one, is never disqualify yourself based on your lack of preparation, experience, or past mistakes. It's impossible to be prepared for every opportunity that comes your way. But what you can do is you can step up and give it your all. When I first started this podcast, I felt unqualified to even be reaching out to guests like David Allen or Gretchen Rubin or Chris Voss, let alone interviewing them. But I did. And I did so really early on because I just took a chance. I took that leap. I just went for it. Had I waited until I felt ready, I would have never started this podcast. So be sure to take and make opportunities and give them all that you've got. And third, last but not least, help your brain help you. 
Program your reticular activating system to help you be the best version of yourself. Do this through repeated hypervisualization where you visualize what you want over and over again. And if you do this, your mind or your RAS is going to reinforce these thoughts and you're going to start to make connections and have experiences pop up that gets you one step closer to your dreams. You can also program your reticular activating system by taking Ed's actionable advice of regularly experiencing your dreams. Oh my gosh, I loved this concept. Go out and touch your dreams. As much as you can, put yourself in a position of actually living out the life that you're striving for. I love the example that Ed gave that he used to take his wife to a hotel that he couldn't really afford, but he'd just stay there for one day and just feel like what it would be like if he was to be extremely wealthy, he would touch that feeling and experience that feeling. And this is so powerful. This is like visualization on steroids because you're actually doing doing the thing that you want in your everyday life. So go ahead, rent that hotel room, take that vacation, give yourself those experiences so you know exactly what to visualize and manifest. And soon enough, these experiences will become your everyday reality. It also reminds me of something that Steve Harvey says, and he says, buy that first class ticket. He says that if you buy a first class ticket and once you experience that experience and you're getting free drinks and you have lots of leg room and you're getting the nice meals, you're never going to want to be in coach again and you're going to figure out how you can make it so that you can always fly first class. Sometimes it's all about just stepping into your dreams before they're a reality. And finally, change your standards and do one more. By the way, guys, Ed's book, The Power of One More, is an amazing book. I highly recommend that you guys go out and buy that. I'll stick the links in the show notes. It really was one of my favorite books that I've read recently. And remember, do one more. Don't just hold yourself to your promises. Hold yourself to your promises and then do more. Go further, be better, and then do it one more day. And with that, Yap fam, let's get after it. If you felt inspired as I did by this conversation, drop us a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform. That's the number one way to thank us here at the show. And you guys can also reach out to me on Instagram or Twitter at Yap with Hala or on LinkedIn by searching my name. It's Hala Taha. Thanks for your support for this podcast. And thanks as always to my amazing Yap team for all their hard work. Catch you next time. This is your host, Hala Taha, signing off.